dress up. If you guys wanted, I encourage all the parents to dress up. I dress up. After church, I put on some kind of costume and run around and have some fun. It's a good thing. Okay, welcome. If you're with us, we're in our third installment of a series that's entitled Christian. And so far that we've said in the series, the word Christian isn't a helpful word. It's not helpful because we can define it any way we want to. Because the Bible really doesn't define the word Christian very clearly. It just makes a couple references to it. In the first century, the followers of Jesus referred to themselves as disciples. And that's terrifying. Because that word is clearly defined when you read the, the scriptures. It's very clear what a disciple is. Because you can tell me what a Christian is, your version of a Christian... But I can tell, by the way, people live their life whether they're a disciple. Because Christian, the word Christian in that belief system has become something a person just believes. And disciple, or the, when the word disciple, was always about how the person behaved. And so this installment is going to talk a little bit about that and what do we do with that information. You know, Steve Jobs, someone on the outside of Christianity, made a comment about Christianity. He said this, The juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. His view of Christianity. His perspective from the outside going, Man, if it's just all about believing, man, Maybe they missed the point. And we ended last week imagining how the world would look and how we would look from the inside, being disciples, how to view the outside. Because we're the insiders. And the title of my lesson is, there's insiders and then there's outsiders. How do the insiders view the outsiders? And that's how we're supposed to treat each other. Because when the insiders treat the outsiders with love, Becoming a disciple is a lot more attractive. A lot more attractive. And when the outside sees our relationship of loving one another, you know what that does? That's attractive. People notice when we actually care about each other. They know when it's a Sunday to Sunday church. I think think many of us have been to a church where it's see you on Sunday. Maybe you will because there's 14 different services. I'm not even sure I'll see you in three months. But I'm sure glad, you know, we can see each other every single week. Amen. What's baffling to me is that a disciple is so clearly defined in the New Testament that it almost seems impossible how the church got so confused. I'm baffled by that. Not only is it taught, it's modeled by both Jesus, it's modeled by Paul, and, if, and if, you're, if you're not a disciple, if you're not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, you're going to love this because you're going to feel justified and empowered. Because what I'm about to tell you is, is true. Many people who claim to be Christian, they view everything through a political lens. And it's politics. And they view it through that lens. And so the insiders view the outsiders through politics. And not the scriptures. And it's very sad because when you, enter, when you view things through the political world, man, you get really irritated. 
How can that be? Who do they think they are? They have they want to impose that on my life? It gets very backwards. And as disciples, we need to be careful that we don't look at the outside world through the lens of politics. Because there's nothing good to be had there. And I say this because right before Jesus exited, He left His disciples, His followers, with some very specific instructions. In Matthew chapter 28, He says this. His last recorded, you know, charge after He resurrected. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You know, to to cause someone to be a pupil, to cause one to become a follower, to make disciples of all nations. That's the one imperative in the commission. Surrounded by three participles. Go, baptizing, and teaching. And for the first 300 years, the church got this right. In historical Christianity, they got it right. Then the church became the official religion of Rome. And the church got power. And then something went terribly wrong. And here's how the church began to start to read that passage in Matthew 18. They started to do this. Therefore go and impose my teachings. And impose my values. And impose my worldview on all nations. Threatening them with judgment and destruction. If they don't obey everything I have commanded you. And people know that about Christianity. Because after 300 years, it became a very bloody scene of Christianity. In the name of God, people were killed. In the name of Jesus, men, women, and children were slain. What happened? Because the Bible is so clear on what a disciple is. It's inescapable. But if you lean on the word Christian, you can make up your own definition. Because the word Christian only appears one, two, three times in all the Bible. And the word disciple appears in reference to almost 270 times. So it's clearly defined. So inviting people to become followers of Christ is very different than imposing the values of Jesus on people. Amen. We've been called to win people. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he writes this passage, he says, Though I'm free, and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew I became Jewish, to the Gentile I was Gentile, to those under the law I became those under the law, to those not under the law I became as one as not under the law. Let me ask you a question. Ever won a contract in business? Ever won somebody's heart? 
Ever won someone over like, oh man, I won them over. It's awesome. How did you do that? How did you win the love of your spouse? Will you marry me or else? <laughs> we didn't do that, did we? When you got married, you they won you over. How? They threaten you? No. Doesn't work. Do they pressure you, calling, messaging every day? Uh, I'm just thinking about you. Uh, what are you doing today? No. They didn't impose anything. When you won that contract, you won it because you gave a great presentation. You won them over with some facts and some data and maybe your charming personality. You were nice. You, dare I say, you might have been loving. You didn't threaten, you didn't pressure, and you didn't impose. Do you know why so many people resist Christianity? Because we have a history of threatening, of pressuring, and imposing. And people are fearful of that. Don't you feel fear when you get that phone call and someone you weren't expecting it going, Hey, can I speak to the man of the house? Whoa, 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 whoa. And then you get that you get that first three or four cents of a line. I'm gonna save you a lot of money. Just hang up. Just get away. I got a call the other day saying, please, you have to call this number. You know, you're being sued in a lawsuit. It was a phone it was a message on my on my phone. And it was kind of scary. I was like, my heart was like, I'm being sued? <laughs> scary. Then I realized, wait. I would have known if someone's suing me. I would have got a letter by the attorney. I would have got something. I would have got something. I would have had. So I started thinking after I like my heart rate was like, I'm being sued. Why am I being sued? But it was a phone call getting me to do something because they wanted something from me, not something for me. And whenever you feel like someone wants something from you, it's threatening. I'm not inspired. You can't win me over when I think you want something from me. But when I feel you want something for me, oh man, you won my heart. You won my heart. So, the church didn't expect the non-Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. They didn't do that. People wanted to join them because of the incredible love and the relationships they had with each other. Not because they were trying to impose the values of Jesus onto them. That came later because of corruption. They didn't expect the followers of Jesus. They didn't expect the outside to be like the followers. But they did expect the inside followers to behave and act and love like Jesus. That they did. And they make a strong argument on that being Hey, if you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus, hey, there's a certain standard and expectation for your life. But we're not going to impose that on the outside world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'd like you to turn there with me. Paul writes this letter to Corinthians. There's probably four letters and two were actually, you know, considered in the Bible as the Scriptures. Only two survived. This church in Corinth was constantly struggling with conflicting moral values of the Greek and Roman and Jewish Christian culture. 
And we're dropping in on the one of the most extreme of all situations. But Paul and his instructions, we get a peek inside his head on the topic of how followers of Christ are to interact with those who are not. And this is very clear. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, a kind that, that even pagans do not tolerate. So there are different moral standards. Even the church has got their standard, and, and even the pagans have standards. So, you saw, we have standards, and so do they, right? A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. It's probably not his mother, it's probably his father's second wife who, you know, divorced and the language indicates some kind of permanent arrangement there. There's some kind of, they were together and they were going to stay together. He writes, shouldn't you have rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who was doing this? Now, there's no mention of the woman, but I'm, from that t- I'm just going to take, he's a follower. This man is a follower. Maybe the woman wasn't a follower, I don't know. But this man certainly was. And so Paul is pointing this out. For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Hold on, Paul. Don't you know the Bible says don't judge? You can't judge people. You can't judge the outside. But Paul says, you better judge the inside. Very clear. Very different, huh? You know how we like to use that word? Don't judge me. Don't judge anything or anyone. Because you might actually cause me to change. <laughs> Let's not do that. That's our nature. Paul says, I have passed judgment. Paul wasn't even there. But I've passed judgment on the report. Right? The Bible doesn't say we shouldn't judge. It just tells us whom to judge. The insiders. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, you know, we take that. You know, I used to read that. I was like, wow, is there like a formal handing over? You know, the devil shows up, give him to me, I want him. And we're going, the church leaders are going like, I'm going to now hand you over to Satan. And he walks him over. He goes, yes, I have him now, he's mine. When I read that, that's how I kind of looked at that passage, kind of in a weird Western, you know, world way. How does that, who, what does that mean? Well, now it, it, here's what it's saying. Put him outside the church. Let the events run its course. Because it's not going to go well with him. Sin has consequences. Legal ter- the legal terminology, hand him over to the custody of Satan. In other words, he's going in a different direction where he becomes an, not a follower of Jesus. That's the legal terminology, in a sense. Then he chastens the church. He, he kind of admonishes the church for being slow to respond to this. He tells them that if they let this thing go on, it will impact the entire assembly, maybe 200 people. So in verse 9, he writes this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. 
Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. He kind of adds to the, to, the, to the list there. Do not even eat with such people. You know, in other words, those who say they are, that are followers of Jesus, but aren't following. This isn't about, you know, you know, about being tempted with sin, or giving in to temptation. This is about people living in an entirely different direction to what a disciple should be. Not we struggle, I messed up. No, that's not talking about that. We're, we, all, we all sin, we all make mistakes, we all blow it. We're, getting, we're talking another life. I'm living another life, that, that kind of different direction completely. That's what we're talking about. Um, he goes in verse 12, What business is it, is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Implication? It's none of my business with those who aren't followers of Jesus to pass judgment on them. And I find myself sometimes in the other category where I'm judging my neighbors. Hmm. That's not healthy. Oh, that has spiritual implications. Well, of course it does, Geo. But they've never said, I'm following Jesus. Amen. So why am I so concerned about their behavior? And sometimes what, you, what the temptation is, well, I won't be too close to them because they're living a crazy lifestyle. Well, of course they are. They're not followers of Jesus. Amen. They're not going to relate to you in any way in a sense of spirituality. Right. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? This is why we don't go and pose our teachings and our values and our worldviews on nations. This is why we don't go threatening people we know with judgment and destruction. You're going to hell if you don't respond to the gospel of Jesus. It's not attractive, is it? You know, when I was in college, at Cal Poly Pomona, and I was on the student body, as the liaison to student and athletes, there was this group that came on campus, and they had these huge signs. And I said, every one of you is going to hell if you don't right now believe in Jesus. And I'm like, that is not attractive. <laughs> and I was just standing there and everyone's just like sneering at him. I was like, ah. I mean, it was a large crowd. It was like a mob. Everyone was totally upset. So I go, well, I'm a disciple. I should go over and say something to this guy. I'm sure he's got his common sense. This is not a good thing to do. You're inciting a riot here on campus. So I walk over to the, the, the person who I think their leader is. And I come to him and say, hey, can I, can I talk to you for a second? Hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a disciple. and sounds like you believe in Jesus too. He's like, absolutely. Um, you know, these signs are kind of offensive because a lot of people aren't saying they're disciples and it's kind of offensive that you're saying this about them. He's like, the truth must come out. And I'm like, I, I believe that's truth, but it's not attractive. And you're trying to impose and threaten and scare people to follow Jesus. He just looked at me, and he kept shouting, ah, ah, ah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave this area. It was crazy. Here's one of the things we cannot do on the inside. There's a few exceptions. You cannot judge your brother's motive. Because you have no idea what he's thinking. Only the Lord does. 
So you can't do that. But behavior tells you enough, right? Yeah. Someone's acting outside, you, you, you pull them aside. How you doing, bro? Are you okay? Here's what I'm noticing, blah, blah, blah. Lo- uh, it's in love, because we're loving. It's a loving situation. Yeah. The insiders loved each other. That's why the outsiders wanted in, because of the love. They weren't, like, they weren't going like, oh, Lynn, you know, I noticed the slide had a misspelling of a word. Did you take time to proofread that? Yeah. No, we're not talking about that. Right? Or Geo, you know, usually you have a PowerPoint slide and today you don't have one. What happened? Are you doing your job? Are you doing your job? You know? Because I actually had a PowerPoint and I, it didn't transfer to my little memory stick this morning. I'm like, all that work. All that work. On the heels of Mexico beating the United States last night 3-2. What a game. I was fired up for a second. We tied the game, then we lost. I was heartbroken. Then I said, okay, at least we got church tomorrow, we got Jesus. We got a PowerPoint. We got a PowerPoint. This morning it was not there. Lenzo, which number is it? Oh, it's Christian number three. It's not there. We're not talking about that. We want to judge the behavior. That's okay to do in love. That's appropriate. That's loving. So what the Apostle Paul is saying to us, judge the follower of Jesus, not the rest of mankind. We're to hold Jesus, people, people of Jesus to the standard of Jesus. That's love. Amen. The outsiders never subscribe to the standard of Jesus. They've not done that. And to not judge each other is not to love each other. And if you don't like someone coming up to you and, and, and making an observation, or hey, but you know, here's my advice, here's my wisdom advice. Make sure you have a relationship, at least in place with this person. To randomly run around the church going, hey, over here, I'm going to point this out. Hey, over here, I don't know you point this out. Hey, I'm only, I'm only here once a month, but I notice a lot of things. <laughs> okay? Then we're going to judge your behavior. So be careful. I saw this interview of a Christian pastor on the show called The View on YouTube. And you know, if you know the woman on The View, they're lovely ladies. But they don't claim to be followers of Jesus. So whenever they get a Christian guy in there, they usually ask very loaded questions. If you, if you have any Christian guy going on Pierce Morgan, or they always ask the crazy loaded questions. And I like how this pastor answered the women in the view because one of the, one of the things they said was, um, Whoopi Goldberg, fantastic actress, person in a sense, she's, she's not a follower, so she's a great person. You know, I like her movie, I like her work, okay, fine. She writes, I just, she says, I just have to ask you about, uh, uh, because you're talking about a lot of married people, because the guy wrote a married book. Now, if you're widowed and meet somebody and you don't want to get married again, are you saying that the widow or widower should, should, uh, should just do without because God doesn't like it? Her view is, hey, if someone lost their husband, they want to get remarried. I mean, I just not get remarried, but have a relationship. You know, an immoral relationship she's alluding to. Um, what do you say? Does God not like it? So the response was, I worship a guy who died and rose as a virgin. So that example would be that, to be that someone can live a full and great life without being sexually active. 
And then she asks, well, how does that work? Please, you know what she's saying? Please tell me more. You know, she's standing on the edge going, what do you mean? And then he says, we in our church. In other words, those who, who, who are claiming to follow Jesus know a lot of widows and single moms who are followers. And they are very happy. They have a relationship with Jesus. They are very happy serving other people and they can be content. If they desire to have sexual relations again when they get married, yes. But they can be content without that as well. They meaning the followers. What they were looking for was, anyone who does it is wrong. No, see, they're not subscribing to the standard of Jesus. But if you're subscribing to the standards of, I'm a follower, there is that. Amen. And I thought that was a really great response to a very loaded question. And the temptation is to make our standards everyone's standards. Well, we'd like the whole world to become followers? Absolutely. Does Jesus want that? Absolutely. But remember his interaction with the most, the most grotesque situation where the woman was caught in adultery. What did Jesus do? He rescued her and says, sin no more. I mean, he did the most outrageous things to people that kind of like broke the law. Historically, Christians have done a better job policing the behavior of outsiders than policing the behavior of insiders. Amen. Historically speaking. And it's true. It's ugly, but it's true. It's ugly, but true. And when we get this right, our lives serve as a continual invitation to those on the outside. I have friends, I have good friends that don't subscribe to Jesus. And I spend time with them. I hang out with them. Their worldview is different from mine. They do things that I would never do. But I don't withdraw my friendship from them. Because how else are they going to feel invited in? It's a big opportunity. I want them to come and see. I want them to stand on the edge and watch. I don't want them to fear to to lean in close and going, wow, let me know more about that. I want them to feel that no one's going to grab them and reach up to them and and put them in church against their will. I don't want that either. Amen. You know, when we have kids at home... We don't want them to grow up like, there's only one choice for me. I have to become a Christian. No. You have a choice. And it's your choice. This is a message for all the parents. It goes to them because they're on the outside, in, in a sense. I want them to be invited in and on their own accord. Amen. Not feel like their only choice is to become a Christian because dad is a Christian. Absolutely not. Because I will love and you will love your children whether they become Christians or not. I guarantee it. And, they, and them deciding to become Christians, you don't go, no, I really love you. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. If you become a Christian, I really love you. No, you've, you've already loved them. So that's irrelevant. Let's take that off the table. I love you. I love you for who you are, what you are, and how God made you. Whatever you're in your life, I love you. And you still get an inheritance. I love you. It's yours. It's yours. Right? You don't know this because some of you didn't grow up in the church. 
You don't know what they feel. You don't know what they experienced growing up in church. It's a little bit, you know, intimidating. We grew up in crazy families. We're like, this is a kingdom. This is amazing. Well, we didn't grow up with it. They're going like, everyone's amazing. The whole, their whole life, everyone's awesome. But give them a choice. Don't do Matthew 28. I will impose it on you. No. You want them to feel invited in. And when they're ready, and when people are ready who are around you, in time, perhaps, they'll believe. Then you'll have a better understanding of, of, of why they want in, because they're drawn in. You've won them over. We're winning them over. Through our lives, through our love. Amen. That's what the church got right in the first 300 years. It was the love for each other that won the world over. So, when the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, that's how they were living. 300 years later, Rome began abandoning their pagan gods to embrace the God of the Christians. And the Christians who never intended to topple the empire. That wasn't their intent. That might have been Simon the Zealot's intent until he met Jesus. They just kept inviting pagans to the edge. Come and see. Watch us live. Watch us love. Watch us die. And without raising a sword, they won the Western world. That's a pretty good movement. that has had its number one tenant, something as weak as love one another. You don't think love can win the world? It can. Love won you over. So love one another and stop judging the outsiders. Love one another and help each other. Love each other. It's none of our business what the outside world does. It's none of my business. I'm just going to be a great friend, a great co-worker, a great employee. Because I want them to go, man, I'm drawn to that. That's different from what else I see. I'm drawn in. Tell me why again. Why do you fight for your marriage and not fight with your wife? I, I want to get that because I fight with her a lot. Right? How do you do that? Judge the believing followers and not the heathen non-followers. Love your brother. Judge your brother. But let's not judge the pagans around us. It's none of our business. Us caring for each other, that's our business. That's, that, that's, that's what makes the church great. That we have actual relationships with each other. So I want to invite you back to part four of the series Christians. And please don't forget to invite everyone you know to our awesome Harvest Festival next Sunday. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for your time.